Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk USA. Are you tired of waiting for change? Tune in to Blog Talk USA. Let your voice be heard on Blog Talk USA. Welcome, everybody, to Blog Talk USA. We are so happy to be here with you on this Monday night. Let me quickly tell you how you can always find us, listen to our live programs and archived episodes. You can always call 515-605-9375 during any live program to listen live by phone. You can listen at blogtalkusa.com, blogtalkradio.com, forward slash blogtalkusa. Or you can find us in podcast form on iTunes, Apple Radio, Stitcher. You can also catch us on uh, the TuneIn app as well. And however you're finding us, we just appreciate that you're doing so. And we won't delay any longer. We've got a whole lineup of guests, and they're ready to go. So let me give you over to your host, Dr. Shirley McKellar. Welcome, Dr. McKellar. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Rihanna. Greetings, and how are you? It's always a pleasure to hear your voice on Marvelous Monday. I hope it's been marvelous for you today. Yes, ma'am. Always <laughs> okay. good to hear your voice, too. Thank you. Thank you. It has been a, an amazing, marvelous day for me today. Let me just tell you, before I, because I want to make sure that you can go and take care of anything that you need to take care of. I'm going to miss you <laughs> in and out, but I know when you're in, you're going to have something powerful to say. But today, right here in Tyler, Texas, we opened our fire station, the one out at the southern part of the city, number four, and it was absolutely beautiful. All the council people were there it's in the district of Councilwoman Linda Sellers, and so we just thank the city of Tyler and those who put that together, our great fire chief, uh, Chief uh, Fire Chief Cobble for doing an amazing work in putting that beautiful fire station together. And the beauty, beautiful part about it is that they're really pushing to have female firefighters. And so each, each individual room that they sleep in, their own private personal rooms, there's three different shifts and they have three different closets in each one of the rooms. So whichever duty uh, time that you're on, you're going to have a particular private place to put your clothing and then everybody has their own private room nobody has to sleep in bunk beds because the fire chief says now can you imagine these big husky guys trying to sleep in bunk beds (laughs) so they have really real beds beautiful beautiful and then on this friday missy anna it will be the grand opening for the fire station the new fire station in my district which happens to be right across the street in front of my office. Uh, I'm going to have an office so that the citizens of District 3 will be able to find their city council person. So I was excited about today, and I'm so looking forward to Friday. But so I thought I wanted to share that with you before we get going. Absolutely. 
Yes, we have an amazing show. Let me just tell you that we keep getting people reaching out to us. Uh, the Steiner campaign has reached out to us. The Bloomberg has continuously reached out to us. Uh, Elizabeth Warren's campaign. Uh, we're waiting for Buttigieg and, and the others, uh, but that's who we're – oh, yes, and Joe Biden's campaign have reached out to us. So, uh, so it's been interesting to see uh, how they're reaching out because you know what my message is. If, in fact, they want to win statewide in Texas, there is no way that they can miss East Texas. And, and in particularly, not just East Texas, but Tyler, Texas. Why? Because we're the largest city in East Texas, and we're the largest county in East Texas. And we have more colleges in Tyler, Texas than any of the other cities. So why would you not stop here? when we have almost 400,000 people that come in and out of Tyler, Texas, and Smith County to work every single day. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, and I'm ready to start this show. <laughs> what about you, Ms. Rihanna? You ready? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, I have some amazing guests on tonight, but before we get to our guests, let's find out if our great team is out there. Mr. Arthur, are you there? Mr. Arthur is not on yet. He's not on yet. He just texted me a few minutes ago to say, I'm oh, ready. For yes, here he is. I, okay. I just found him. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just found him. Mr. Arthur, are you there? Are you there, Mr. Yeah. Arthur? We have to open up. There hey, he is. Yeah, yeah. How are you? Yeah, how y'all doing? How you doing tonight? <laughs> Great. I'm doing outstanding. As a matter of fact, speaking of East Texas, as you may already know, uh, yeah. The infamous, none other than Mr. Patrick Mahoney is from East Texas, right here in the district. He graduated from a little small community right outside of the city of Tyler. So we're proud of those KCK Chiefs uh, for winning that uh, that Super Bowl on yesterday. Was that your team, Mr. Arthur? Oh no, I thought I thought you were going to start telling me about my my, my university. You know, we had a shooting down there today. <laughs> Yeah, that's, right. Texas A&M Commerce. that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texas A&M Commerce had a shooting yeah. down there, and we did get a notice that uh, our sorority members were uh, n- no problem. Tell us about that. Um, I just heard about it well, just a little while ago. Since I've been well, we're still waiting on, well, we're still waiting on information. All we know is two people uh, dead at, the, at, the, at one of the resident halls down there. So we we, we, we still have I still I've been I've talked to folks, but I still haven't got any. Anything other than what you know, CNN and so forth is saying. The university put out basically the same statement. So, thank you. I didn't realize our lives were lost. I, I, I am that's sad. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. Didn't they have to hear what that was all about? Uh, well, we don't know, but it, was, but it wasn't one of the resident halls. Uh, halls there. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> now, just uh, now, just historically speaking. Now, because I, I, uh, I worked at East Systems uh, in Greenville, but I was down there right. for like. Off and on from seventy six to like to like eighty one, eighty two. So and a couple of times, a couple of times there were there were uh, mur- there, there was some murder suicides that happened down there. So this okay. not the action. So so now I don't know what this was right here though. So I'm not saying that's what this was, but I'm just saying historically we have had that. We we, we did have that. We have had some you know some some. Uh, but, but it was always off campus. So this for if it's this this on campus if it's on campus. It was wow. off campus other times, but yeah. Mm-hmm. 
you know, involved in and they were and, and, and of course of course they were white students all you know, both those times. So I don't know what the you don't know if these are black students but, or whatever. I don't think that. Okay. Well that's sad. We were really sad about mm-hmm. uh, about that. We like I said, we just heard about it a little while ago and uh was letting us know that uh, we have a, a chapter uh AKA chapter that Yeah, you do, Epsilon Sigma. There you go. Epsilon, there you go. Yeah, there's so many pictures uh, down there. Yeah, so we're 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 praying that. Oh well, my goodness, what well, can we I are say? Too. I know. I yeah. know. It's the world we're in right now. It's the world okay. we live in. The world we live in. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. let me just uh, share with you. Uh, I don't know what other team members are out there, Miss Rihanna. I don't know if you can tell what other team members are there. Uh, Dr. If, Nichols uh, is with us. Dr. Nichols, of course. Let's bring Dr. Nichols in. Good evening. Dr. Nichols has been traveling, uh, so we're happy that she made it in safely uh, from Austin, Texas. Dr. Nichols, come right on in. How are you? Greetings. Is her line open, Ms. Rihanna? Yes. Yes. Hello, Dr. Nichols. Good evening. Good evening. We're excited yes. about our, our White House homeboy making good at the Super Bowl. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> correct. We we you know what I normally don't sit down and watch a game at at its entirety. I just kind of want to know what the ending results are. But when Earl Campbell played, I watched it, and then now uh, our homeboy Patrick Mahomes, when he played, I watched the entire game. And so he really rose up and came on out in that near mm-hmm. the end, did he not? And being so young and getting the MVP, I'm just very very proud. Uh, of him. As a matter of fact, uh, Patrick's father uh, has a brother that just recently passed away here in Tyler, who was actually married to my cousin. And uh, oh, so, okay. yes, that's his father's brother. That was his father's mm. brother. But uh, but yes, so I'm excited about this evening. We we, we have some great guests that that that's going to be on with us, uh, Miss Jean uh, Marie uh, Russo. And hopefully her line is open, Miss Rihanna. It's a two six two three five nine a number, and I did ask yes. her to go ahead and press one. Uh, oh, greetings two six two three five nine. Well, I, I, that's there is a two six two that I've opened. Okay, okay. Well, that's good enough. Uh, Miss Jean, if okay. you're there, uh, come right in. How are you? Greetings. Good evening. Hello, hello. This is Jean. Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, and let me just give everybody uh, just a little heads up on uh, who this very outstanding young lady is. She actually is from the uh, Speaking of Success uh, uh, Incorporated uh, Bureau. It's actually a speaking uh, a group where she brings in speakers, and uh, she is noted all around uh, the nation. She's a professional entrepreneur and speaker agent. Uh, a pearl of knowledge and experience for over 20 years, uh, Miss Jean Marie Russo, and she shares her competency, her skills, her knowledge, and her experience in the global uh, corporation, the corporate world, all over the world, uh, with emphasis on pharmaceutical arena, and she brings uh, expertise in operations, engineering, and technology, IT security, sales, marketing, business insight, diversity, human resources, training, and development to corporate meetings and events and planning experience. Now, 
This is a wide range of things that this amazing uh, lady does. Uh, Ms. Jean works uh, with corporations, trade associations, schools, universities, uh, global organizations, event promotions, I mean, worldwide to inspire and empower audiences promoting and booking exclusively top-tier talent. Uh, that's the talent like Miss Rihanna, Dr. Nichols, and Mr. Arthur. <laughs> uh, Ms. Jean Marie's success is attributed to her extensive experience helping top Fortune 500 corporations exceed expectations in finding and matching just the right inspirational speaker, focusing on the client to engage the audience in any of these categories and so much more. And I have the distinct pleasure of meeting her in Dallas, Texas, and she just changed my life upside down. Because she, the, the reason why this young lady is so important to me is because she pushes and empowers women. And some of the things that she's worked on is anti-bullying, which you know that that's one of my uh, things that I'm interested in, and kids at risk, making sure that our children are well taken care of at all times. She's great in personal bond, uh, branding, helping uh, individuals to brand themselves and find out what she brings out the best in you. She's a motivational and inspirational speaker herself. Uh, she's changing the corporate mindset of how we've done business in the past. Uh, health and wellness is one of her issues, business ethics, dress for success. And let me tell you, she was dressed just, she was dressed to the nine, as they would say, and then business etiquette. And so it was such a pleasure to connect with Miss Jean Marie. And if you want to be successful and have successful events, you need to get to know this young lady very well. And not only is she going to be on with us tonight, but Mr. Arthur, who is a veteran, she's bringing in a powerful veteran to talk to us about how to be successful and empowering people. Because the one thing that I can tell you that we cannot do and we cannot be, and that is selfish and self-centered, we have to bring somebody else with us. And this is what Miss Jean Marie does. Miss Jean Marie, welcome to Marvelous Monday. And you're making my Monday even more marvelous to have you on my show tonight. Oh, Our thank show. you so much. Thank you, thank you. I'm I'm just honored and humbled to be a part of this this audience and the show. Um, Dr. McKellar, you have done an exceedingly wonderful job in in your motivation and your empowerment and so you're a tough act to follow i have to well. share <laughs> um well this evening though um i i do ask that that we take the time to focus on caregivers and the the caregiver's journey and the lessons learned um, from caregiving and the responsibility that it involves, unless you've walked in, in someone's shoes who had that responsibility, it's, it's so, so hard to visualize and to understand. Um, I was a caregiver myself for approximately 20 years for both of my parents, and I would do it all over again. I would not change a thing, um, but it does. It changes your life. Um, it it 
allows you to have more faith and to know that what you're doing makes a difference. And it is so not about you, and it wasn't about me, and um, especially that it was my parents. But it doesn't matter who it is, that that person is dependent on you, and you don't realize what a difference you can make, even if it's a small one, bringing a meal or touching um, up their, their grooming or just being there, listening smiling, sharing stories, even though you think that they're not hearing you, they hear you. They hear you. They listen with their heart. And that few minutes, your presence makes a difference. And that's primarily what my entire speaking of success is all about. It's making a difference, but more so being the difference. And it's about touching those with whom we meet. And I have a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to share a speaker. Um, and I, I'm hoping he's on the line. He, uh, Dr. Stuart Proctor um, is one of my motivational key speakers. He is a retired military veteran. And he is going to share a portion of the caregiver's journey that he walked the walk. Um, he is realizing that in a moment life happens right. and he was faced with circumstances in his life that changed his life. And definitely it was the love of his life that it happened to but he was so much more than just a husband, just a caretaker. He was a partner that was dedicated and sharing, not that he knew how, but he learned very quickly and he adapted. And so when life happens, um, he just stepped up to the plate. And he's going to share his story, and I'm I'm not going to steal his thunder. But, um, Dr. Proctor, you can go ahead and, and share a little bit about who you are and, and what happened in your life. Greetings. Uh, good evening. evening. Great. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for being on with us tonight. And so this, this subject was very, very important to me, being a, a medical person, caregiver in the past, and for the mere fact that my sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, that is one of our mantras, is to help and assist with people who are caregivers. And so we were able to give out, uh, I think it was five awards, and to include uh, monetary uh, and respite time out for people who we selected here in our city who were outstanding caregivers that have done so well. So please go ahead and share uh, your story with us. I'm, I'm anxious to hear more about it. And thank you so much for being on the show with us tonight. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. Uh, first, let me thank you for, for having, me, having me on, Dr. McKellar. Uh, Jeannie, yes, thank you for the kind words, as always. Uh, I, I honestly Absolutely. can't thank you enough for you know, advancing my cause and, uh, you know, helping me advance my purpose as I move forward in life. So, um, 
I guess the best way that I could start is how it all started. You know, so I met who would become my wife. Uh, her name is Evelyn uh, in 1987 or 88. Uh, we were both stationed at uh, REF, Royal Air Forces, Lake and Heath, and I would just see her at the Clarence Barrel. We were both uh, security forces, uh, military police, basically. And, you know, when I met her, she would give me the time of day. You know, I I, I always joke that, you know, um, <laughs> guys always think that the first thing that pops in the head, this is a good line, it's going to work, It's it's that's the one. It's generally yeah. something stupid. All right, and and you went the women in the forum. You can you can contest it. Yeah, the guy that you're with probably said something completely off the wall, and he thought it was kind of cool, but it never really worked out that way. So I think over time I kind of wore it down, you know. And we became really good friends, and we got married in uh, October of uh, 1989. So okay. our, our first our daughter was born in 1990. We had a son three years later. So at that point, life just takes over. You know, you're, you're working, you're raising your kids, and you're building a life together. Uh, so we fast forward to March of 2009, and uh, we're, you know, we're living in Arizona, where I live at now. And she came back from a deployment, and something was just off, you know. She had cramps mm-hmm. and spasms just on the left side of her body. And we figured because she drank a lot of Diet Coke and coffee, all right, you need to hydrate. You know, we live in the desert. You just left the desert. So, you know, maybe that's it. Changed the diet, added potassium, did everything that we could possibly do to combat what what we thought was wrong. And uh, nothing changed. So, you know, at, when sometimes when we make decisions, we tend to think that they're arbitrary. So I'm going to share one that I thought was kind of arbitrary. It was May of of 2010, and I had just reached the point where I was tired of being in the Air Force. So, you know, she's out on the patio smoking, and I'm looking at my test results. I missed um, E8 by four points. So I'm like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm finished. She walked back in from the patio, and I said, Ev, hey, I'm going to retire. All she said was okay. You know, and I think back on her response, and I'm thinking – Everything changes with us financially. I, I get out. My pay is cut in half. I've got to come up with some kind of plan to supplant what we lost. You know, And she didn't say anything. She just said, okay. So I'm at home. I had leave from well, – I, I retired in August of 10. That was my retirement date, August 17th of 2010. And mm-hmm. I'm at home just trying to find something to do until my actual retirement date, and I get my 214, which was um, November 1st. So I get a call, and um, – it's October, I want to say it's October 11th. She collapsed at work. Wow. And they thought it was a stroke. I raced mm-hmm. to uh, to the ER. And for all intents and purposes, she seemed fine. Everything seemed, you know, normal. And But there was something wrong. We didn't know what it was. So... Yeah. We started to see different doctors all over, you know, the you know the West Valley, um, the East Valley of, of Phoenix, uh, the Arizona area, Scottsdale, you name it. We saw every doctor we could possibly see, and you know, I, I don't want to disparage doctors. I don't want to disparage nurses. Um, over the time of caring for my wife, I've come to meet and appreciate and love a lot of doctors and nurses. And yeah. Doctor Doctor McKellar, thank you for what you do. Thank your your sorority 
sisters for what okay. they do. It is immense. It's an immense amount of work to care for someone, uh, to give of okay. yourself the way that nurses and caregivers do. Now, gotcha. at that point, I, I'm just going through the, 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 the process of trying to find out what's going on with my wife. And the military, they're starting to figure out, okay, something's wrong. We can't use you anymore. So we need to find out what's wrong, and we, we're going to let you go. You know, so from the time that she got out of the hospital after that ER visit, she was on convalescent leave. And we didn't see a doctor that would actually say, I don't know, until January 2011. Wow. And he wow. sent us to Barrows. And, um, you know, the doctor at Barrows, Dr. Shafiq, Shafiq Lada, I, I love this man. He okay. gave her the best possible care and walked us through the whole process of finding out what was wrong with her. He suspected ALS, but he needed to confirm it. And back then, uh, 2011, there was no, we poke you here, test this, this is what it is. So it's a process of elimination of every neurological disease possible, MS, grave disease, et cetera. So right. fast, fast forward to June of 11, and we go to his office, and he did the final nerve conduction test. Uh, and it didn't take long. It, was, it only lasted a few, maybe a minute. Because the pain, once he started to, mm-hmm. to you know, prod with the, mm-hmm. to, to test her nerves, she couldn't bear the pain, so he stopped. And uh, she got dressed. He went into his office, and uh, he just said, I'm sorry. It's ALS. Wow. Wow. You know, um, I, Doc, I, I was telling Miss Jean that, for about five or six years, I had probably in excess of about five amphotrophic lateral sclerosis patients. And, mm-hmm. and that, that is probably, aside from watching children uh, become ill, probably ALS is the hardest disease process that you can look at because you see this perfectly brilliant person. Yes. Period down to nothing. And let me say thank you yes. for your service, uh, sir. Uh, Mr. Thank Arthur you for yours Fleming, as well. My ple- it was an honor to serve. And Mr. Arthur Flemings, who's on with us as one of our team members, also uh, is, was military. And uh, so uh, I know that he wants to say the same thing to you and probably will. Yeah, thank, thank you both. Sure. Thank you both. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Right. Uh, we, we have actually quite a few uh, military personnel that uh, tunes into this show each each week. But l- let me just ask you a couple questions. Uh, sure. So, w- so once once that that you got this definitive diagnosis, then what what was next? And 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 at what point did you come out of the military? Because I, I heard you say that you kind of she went on convalescence, and and the one thing yeah. I can tell you that once you you're injured or you have issues, you're you're no longer any good to the military, and they work toward uh, uh, making making that exit uh, for yeah, you. They, but, they, but, yeah, they, def- <laughs> they definitely do that. Um, and yeah. I liken yeah. it to cutting that umbilical cord. It's cut, and they're moving on yes, to sir. the next person. So uh, that drive home. You know, it usually takes us 20 minutes, you know, to to get, you know, to the doctor's office and another 20 to get back. But that was the longest <laughs> drive of that I can remember. Yeah. You know, she's looking out one window crying, and I'm out, I'm looking at, out the other window crying. And this is the strongest wow. woman I've ever met in my life. Um, wow. The best thing about her was that she didn't need me. 
You know, if we had a relationship built on both of us mutually co- contributing to what we try to do to raise our kids, to build a life, take care of our home, et cetera. Um, but we're at a, in, a, in a very, very unfamiliar place at this point because we don't know how ALS is going to progress. We don't know. Right. We right. had to go home and learn. You know? Sure. So sure. Uh, we, we got home, and she sat down at the foot of our stairs. And, you know, she said, uh, excuse me, I'm quoting her. She said, okay. fuck this, it will not win. Wow. And at that point, because I knew she was in it, she was in, she was going to fight. I was going to be sure. there to fight with her. Uh, so at that point, you know, we're learning, trying to learn everything that we can about ALS. And, you know, the crazy, the, I guess the like you, you said, ALS is one of the hardest things, the hardest diseases to watch. Um, healthy, she was 145 pounds. When she passed, she was 80 pounds. So for yeah. me, as a caregiver, uh, I didn't have a clue of what to do. And I'm finding sure. out things on the fly. I'm learning on the go. And what I learned, you know, was either you're ready or you're going to make yourself ready. Mm-hmm. And... One mistake that I, I – I'm glad you mentioned respite early on. One mistake that I, I made was I didn't get any respite at all for those seven years that that she was fighting ALS. I was here every single day. I refused oh to go outside of five to seven square miles of our home unless I had to take her to doctor visits. Once she was wow. was bedridden, I didn't go anywhere. Uh, and I, I watched and, her and go from – how many years? From that diagnosis until her demise? Uh, June of 2011, we got the diagnosis, and she passed okay. March 2nd of 2018. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right, right here that's at home. probably about the, the length of time. Um, that's about the length of time. Well, you know, it, it's so amazing because I, I'm, you're talking about, you're talking about top drawer, high tech. <laughs> nursing to take care of an amphotrophic lateral sclerosis patient. It's just like being in an ICU unit where I've run many intensive care units. And so to ask a person who has never had to deal with that, you had to be a quick learner. You had to learn fast as you went along the way, especially if you had no one to come into your home and, no. and train and teach you these things, which the military should have provided you with all of that. But go ahead. You know the the military part of this we can we can discuss at a in another form because well I can't say that the military didn't provide in some way shape or form because once the VA kicked in the VA they were given you know we had resources available to us that I had no idea that the VA provided okay now right. where I would say that the Air Force itself uh, failed her was. Uh, Basically, it put a foot in her the back of in her, in her lower back and pushed her out the door. See, when we when you and I left the military, we chose to leave. Okay, sure. we we had already resigned. Our, this is what I want to do. For those right. seven years, from the second she she was medically retired March second, from March second okay. of 2012, she was medically retired from the day right. from that day, so she passed. It aided her how she lost her career. Her career was everything to her. She loved oh, being sure. in the Air Force. Oh, she sure. loved being a cop. She loved her job, her people, her troops. 
yeah. and it was taken yeah. from her. You know, and, mm-hmm. and that's something that I'm trying to work with. I, I volunteer now with the uh, ALS Association here in Arizona I'm on the board, and I'm trying right. to work with uh, the VA and the local military bases here in Arizona to set up programs to where not just ALS patients, um, but anyone this, this, that was a vet, they still have something to, something to contribute. At that point, my wife was, had been in 24 years, and she had all that empirical knowledge that she could have shared. I would take her back and forth to the base, but she wanted to still feel involved, and she couldn't sure. get that. They told her, no, once you're out, you're out. We don't want any liability issues, nothing. So, no, you can't be around. You can't do these things. You can't teach folks. So that was a, a huge blow to her psychologically and emotionally, coupled with of what course. she was dealing with physically. You know. Of course. So um, well, have, did process, you think about, and I, I'm sorry, but I, mm-hmm. you, you may not, this may not have cost you, but but I volunteer at the VA hospital every single week, and there's a lot of veterans that come in and out of the big hospital there in Dallas, Texas, um, and they they give they give back. That's their way of giving back. Some of them are in wheelchairs. Some of them with the missing limbs. You know, the Iraq. Mm-hmm. I'm an Iraqi, uh, Afghanistan uh, veteran. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of work. They could have said to her. What take that knowledge and go over to the VA hospital and volunteer or do something? You know, it, it just saddens me that we don't think outside of the box. No, that that you're that's, just no longer any good when you're when you're mm-hmm. injured and and, and you went in in perfectly good health, right? Exactly, <laughs> and, and, and that's just it. Um, the VA just over the last four or five years, they just started to establish. ALS clinics in all of the larger right. hospitals. So at the time of, of, of her diagnosis and early on when she was still able to to get out and move and, you know, use a wheelchair and stuff, they didn't exist. We we never set foot in the VA for anything for her. We always went to Barrows Neurological here in Arizona um, for sure. her care. Uh, so the VA didn't have anything. So I'm, I'm working with them through the ALS Association now to be involved sure. in um, educating caregivers, educating veterans on my experience. Um, I can only speak from my experience. I, I know ALS is one of those diseases that it's different person to person. So um, yeah. it didn't hit my wife's respiratory system until that last year. So that what I witnessed was her body completely fail. Uh, she, you know, the muscle wasting, the loss of weight. Sure. Uh, the cramps, the spasms, things like that. So um, she was probably bedridden the last three years of uh, of, of the illness. So mm-hmm. as a caregiver, I'm losing sleep, and I'm trying to figure out uh, the best way to care for her, which is difficult because I wasn't just a caregiver. I was her husband, and we'd been together when she passed 28 years. You know, so when she was diagnosed, we were at year 21, and we're making plans for when we retire. These are the things we're going to do. Um, we got the diagnosis. Our son was 16. Our daughter was 19. You know, So my glass half full with this is if it had to happen, it couldn't have happened at a better time. I can imagine if I had small kids. I can imagine if I was still early in my career and I had to work and we didn't have the resources. So it was not completely dire. 
if you take ALS out of my life, my life was great. Absolutely. You know, um, and I, I can't. Again, I, I don't want to make this sound as though it's uh, it's all doom and gloom because it's not. You know, we learned a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot about our relationship. Um, dealing with something like this, a lot of the things that we as human beings focus on day in and day out, they're really not that important. You know, and yeah. in the course of life, when we're raising kids and we're going to work and we're building a life, we tend to overlook each other. You know, mm-hmm. and and that's just through the natural course of things. We don't choose to. It's okay. She's not that important. He may not be that important right now. I got to take care of the kids. The kids got to get to school, sport events, right. things like that. I got to pay bills, take care of the house. All sure. these things are just in the natural course of life. But sure. in that, there's always a sacrifice. And what I ask anyone that's in any kind of relationship, you take the time each day to say what needs to be said. You tell your loved ones you love them. Don't let a moment yeah. pass because you don't know when you're going to wake up and things are different. Right. So let me ask you this question. So how do you see then that families should start to build capable caregivers? Because if we keep living, we're all going to get older. Someday we may mm-hmm. have, we don't know what we may yeah. have down the line. And so now we have young children or children. And so nine times out of ten, children will become caregivers. I was caregiver for, for my – I was the medical person in my family. Mm-hmm. So uh, even though all the children – my mother was an only child, right? And she said children should not grow up by themselves. So there's seven of us. And so thank right. God there were seven of us because when my father became ill, he died instantly of a, a massive heart attack. But my mother then again, uh, once she became ill, she stayed around for a long time. So she had seven children that could take turns mm-hmm. along with us having a caregiver. But but I, I guess where I'm going with this is that, that we, we need to start creating uh, valuable people that can become caregivers uh, you know, just kind of plan ahead, I guess. Or the other thing that, that I said that we should always look at is if we can have some type, and all of us could probably become insurance poor, but the one thing that we Definitely. have for my, for my mother, because I, I, I mm-hmm. used to do health in, insurance, and and, uh, and that's another story, but we would, I would read the medical briefs for attorneys to decide whether whether this is a case that needs to go to court or not. But but what what needs to happen is that we need to make sure that somebody has the kind of knowledge or be prepared down the line. Say, okay, well, one day uh, we may need a 24-hour caregiver, so let's go ahead and purchase some insurance that will pay for that because we all have busy careers and we all do this, even though we're not trying to push push off our parents onto anybody. We still want to right. oversee their care, but but we may have to try to get some some health insurance that will take care of our family members at home because I, even though I, I used to run uh, nursing homes and, and the directors in them, uh, I don't want to, I never wanted to carry my parents to one and then never carry them to one. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that as far as our trying to find capable uh, or creating programs to have capable and prepared people to take just in case they get into a situation just like the one you, you found yourself in with your beautiful, I saw a photograph of your beautiful wife. Thank she you. Thank you. Beautiful, amazing woman. Um, I, I think it, it has to, it, it's 
early the early stages of it first you have to learn how to be compassionate we have to teach people teach our loved ones how to be compassionate uh, and show them that it's okay to give up themselves you know we live in a very selfish time we live and most of us we have our own agendas most people have their yeah. own selfish needs and they will put those needs above all else and that's understandable our society we're, we're we're trained to think this way, and it's a survival instinct. But what I, I, I also find is compassion, is, it still exists. You know, the importance of being compassionate, not only for the people that you know, but for strangers. Um, go out of your way to do something nice for a stranger every day. Say something nice to a stranger every day. I try to do that every day because I, I don't want to be cynical living the rest of my life. It's too easy for us to be cynical, especially living in the times that we're living in. Um, so compassion is one. We have to learn how to be compassionate towards the people that we love. Um, and second, have these hard conversations, and they are hard conversations because none of us want to think about someone that we love passing away. Okay, so it, it, here's, here's a thought, and I want each, each person that's listening to consider this. When you jokingly have a conversation, you know, with your your loved one, your spouse, about passing away, it's never. It's always, hey, when I go, Evan, I would have this conversation just jokingly. I would tell her, look, when I go, just throw me in a pine box, throw me in the ground, I'm good, you know. <laughs> but when you think yeah. about the context of what I just said, when you think about you saying it, we never say, when you go, this is what I'm going to do. Exactly. It's exactly. always when I go. And I think that's because we do not want to consider the pain that's involved with losing someone. We know that there's pain involved with it. So we deflect. But we have to have this car. We have to have that hard conversation. Exactly correct. I'm going to intervene for just a second. I'm going to ask sure. that everybody that's listening out there, if you would mute your phones, and then that includes the team members, to mute your phone, and then we're going to bring you back later if you have some questions of Dr. Proctor. You know, you're 100% correct because we don't want to experience that pain of, of losing our loved ones. Uh, today I'll share with you today that uh, a relative of my husband's uh, her granddaughter, who was just 15 years of age, uh, oh, wow. went into an asthmatic attack and just died, just like that, yesterday. I oh, mean, my God, that's horrible. 15. So we don't know the time. We don't know the age. You know, no. we all know that we, we're not going to get out of here alive, right, that we, we, we're going to die. So, so some plans we have, we have to make and we have to mm-hmm. – it's, it's, it's a hard conversation, right? But we have to have very, very time. hard, very hard, and it was quite sobering. There were several instances that that really opened my eyes to where we were in this process. So, when I'm, I'm taking Ev around to her appointments to our process, and we meet with um, the um, servicemen group's life insurance representative at the base, and you know she goes over the plans. This is you know here's. You can leave uh, a lump sum for your husband, or you can do the monthly payments. And she explained everything, but we're still in this haze of this is happening. You know, this is happening. Yeah. And what Evelyn said to me broke my heart. She didn't say it to me, but what she her response broke my heart. And as a husband, um, it crushed me. 
she told the lady, um, I don't know which one. I just want to make sure my husband is taken care of. Wow. And as a husband, that's my job. Exactly. I know. I know. But I tell you what, Dr. No. Proctor, it, it's, it's our job to take care of each other, right? Yeah. And so, so. Definitely. Yes. So, I, I, like I said, I, I didn't know your wife. I have the greatest respect. But Miss Jean just gave me the story, and I was just so impressed and could not wait to have you on because let me just say that I commend you for the great work that that you did uh, for your wife and, and the fact that you're continuing to do things for her because you're out there educating people about amphotrophic lateral sclerosis. That, every time I see that word, I, I reflect back on the five up-close and personal patients that I had, that they were in their homes, and I took, I just remembered all the many times of having the suction, and all, because you were saying that it took a while before your wife got to that respiratory part. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of the patients get to that respiratory part much, uh, pretty early on, you know, maybe yeah. a year or so after yeah. diagnosis, and then that, that, uh, that whole body just starts to deteriorate to nothing. So I just, I just commend you for the great work that you did and the capable. Yeah, as, if I could, I'd give you your nursing license. <laughs> because <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, because I, that's 20, that is 24-7 work that you did. And the fact that you were so committed to your wife that you never left out of that home in the past few months of her life, it, that's just amazing. That just says something about the type of person that you are. So thank you for being out there and continuing to educate people on this uh, dreadful disease and that you're making thank sure you. that the veteran society and the, uh, the uh, VA society uh, administration knows exactly uh, uh, what's going on with that because there's so much there's so much to learn about ALS and then there's so much that we don't know right about ALS right right and we're, we're still learning there's still discovering more different research. things yes. yes a lot more research a lot more involvement so um, listeners please if you care to contribute to your local ALS office uh, you can find um, where your office is by going on to ALS.org um, in your local communities and, and get involved in some way, some way, shape, or form. Um, and if I can just one last tidbit, this is the thing that I did not do that I implore any caregiver to do. Get respite. Please Thank take you. it when it's offered. Get it. And that may be one of those other hard conversations that you have to have with your loved one, especially if it's a spouse, a loved one, a parent. You have to have the conversation about seeking respite. Anytime that I thought that I needed to get some respite, I always looked at her and I'm like, no, I'm not leaving. You know, she can't take a break. She can't go see a movie. She can't do these things. So, no, I'm not. I'm going to stay here. I never had a conversation with her about whether I should or shouldn't. And I know that she probably would have told me to take a break. You burn out. You need to go. Um, When she passed, it probably took me six months to – adjust to going outside of five to seven square miles from my home. Psychologically, could I, I was so, could I, so ingrained to be here. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Miss Jean's trying to, to come in. Go ahead. Yes. 
that yes, was a friend I, Dr. Nancy Nichols, who who's uh, one of our team members. Her her father-in-law died at 52 with ALS. But go ahead, Ms. Jean. Oh my word! I just wanted to uh, piggyback on to what what you are saying, uh, Stuart, is that the caregiver, when it's all over. I know for me, and it was not ALS, but a lot of other medical issues, um, severe, but you forget how to live. You have done it for, for so long, and for me it was 20 years. I, I didn't, I, it was a change in life, a change in focusing on me when all this yeah. time you were focusing on others, on work, on other responsibility. And and it takes time, and you need to give yourself that time. But I think what would help is before that happens, putting mm-hmm. on the oxygen mask like in a plane, yeah. they say, to, yeah. to give yourself yeah. oxygen yeah. first before you can help anyone else. And I'm such a visual. And you are absolutely, it's impossible to take care of someone else if you don't take care of yourself first. And that's why that respite care is so important that you have a breakaway so that when you lose that loved one, then you have taken care of yourself and so you can continue to go ahead and live. You know that there are 90 million family caregivers. Go ahead, Ms. Arthur, uh, or somebody. I heard a voice. Okay. Uh, let me say this as the only nurse home administrator and home health care owner, uh, past home health care owner uh, in the group. Uh, what I would, I, I wish I could have talked to them a lot earlier, because you know when you study gerontology, what you as far as you know taking care of people, things and so forth. Well, first of all, I'm glad both y'all still here, because a lot of times the caregiver die for the folks they're caring for. That's absolutely correct. And and, <laughs> and, and, and and so 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 there's a lot of dangers that's in that. Again, because because again, uh, 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 you know, one of the things is is that you know you have to be able to refresh yourself. Like, you know, like she said earlier, you can't help nobody until you can help yourself. And so, and I just hope that you all are, are you know are taking care of yourselves and trying to uh, again you know make that adjustment. But uh, but I know but I know some situations where the caregiver uh, died for the person they was caring for because they were more you know uh, uh, emotionally. You know, involved in it than the folks they were caring for. So, uh, and I'm not saying the folks that they're caring for you weren't involved. I'm just saying that they that, that they neglected themselves while right. they were doing it. And what I would tell yeah, folks right. is, this, you use all the services like the help, like the uh, the, the respite, the uh, sitting services, the uh, so forth and so on. Uh, you know, and that's to help you be better when you get back to take care of them. You know, exactly. you, you know, you, you know. Sometimes, you know, if, if they, you know, you miss each other for a little bit, make it better when you get back. So, you know, uh, uh, so like I say, so I, I, I would encourage everybody to use the services that's there. Uh, you know, again, now there's a lot of funny things going on with healthcare system now. So if you don't know, they're not gonna tell you. That's true. So it's Excellent. important that we. That's very true. So, so it's important that we, uh, uh, you know, through our veteran organization stuff, start doing more uh, education on, you know, what you can and can't get and how to use it and so forth and so on. They, you know, again, you know, they offer you all these things, but they don't tell you how to get them. They don't tell you how to use them. You see what I'm saying? They they, they put you in some regiment instead of, uh, they, instead of you understanding, you can actually make it fit what you do. 
You know, you can use the system, you can use the, the services to accent, you know, to accentuate your life, what you're doing. Like I said, you need to go to a movie. If you need to go see a friend, you know, uh, uh, for some emotional support. You know, when you that's get back, right. you're going to be better. You know, you're going to be better. That's right. You're going to be better that's for that situation. So that's what people need to understand, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and I'm just glad that both of y'all made it out of it and you're still here because, again, uh, seven years like you did, that's intense. And then that 20 years intense. like and then 20 years like she did, that's very intense. And like I said, again, uh, yeah, I'm just glad both of y'all are here. Thank you. Well, that, that's, one, that's one of the ways of, of reducing that caregiver stress is what mm-hmm. Mr. Arthur is talking about, re- reducing that day-to-day stress and even the financial stress. Oh, I, I mean, a lot, of, lot more expense comes about when we have. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And could I share that for the listeners out there, for the families and for the friends that you know people who are caregivers, because I lost a lot of friends because of my commitment. Sure. Sure. I know. And family. So reach out to them. They need you. That's right. That's right. And I think the only other piece of advice that I would really, personally, I cannot give advice, but from a personal standpoint, think twice before you sign that power of attorney. There's two power of attorneys, and that's a whole other show. There's the health care, and there's, there is a, a personal one. That's show that we have to talk about and take care of. You're, you're right. I don't know what's happening with Ms. Cheekbone. Um, but look, Dr. Nichols, I'm going to bring you in and Miss um, Jean may have to redial back in. I'm not, I'm not sure. Hopefully that uh, we did not lose her. She may be moving along. But Dr. Nichols, come in and share with uh, uh, Dr. Proctor about uh, your, your father-in-law who had ALS at age 52, I believe, 51, 52 years of age. Are you there, Dr. Nichols? Open your, uh, unmute your phone yes. and come in. Yes, I am. Thank you. Um, yes, my husband's father was 52 when he passed from ALS, and, of course, this was uh, very young, and it was traumatic. <laughs> he was a very active, an active man of all his life. Um, he wasn't a particularly nice man, but uh, the ALS is, is uh, it is a very stressful across the board. It's very traumatic. Yes, it is. Dr. Proctor, can, can you tell, yes. share with us the age of your wife when she... Uh, uh, passed away? Uh, 45 at diagnosis and 52 when she passed. Oh, my. See, yeah. that seems to, that is something, you see that a lot within their 50s. Uh, now, now one of the patients that I had was a little bit old, was in their 60s, but, but mm-hmm. all of them was from 50s into very, very early uh, 60s. Yeah. Um, we were starting to see Folks that that serve in the military, um, they're coming back from these deployments later in their careers um, with some neurological diseases. 
um, not yeah. just ALS. There's there's been an uptick across the board, um, and women in the military have a 30% greater chance of uh, getting a, a neurological disease than men do. Then they're they're service their male uh, service counterparts. So, um, how this is happening, I, I have no idea. They're still trying to study and and come up with some answers for it, um, but you know across the board it is quite possibly the most horrific thing that I've experienced in my life, um, and my my kids have experienced in their lives. You know the loss is one that uh, that's unexplainable. You know because you want answers. We, we tend to want answers. Why do these things happen? Um, the first couple of years that, that you know we were dealing with the, the diagnosis and our illness, there was a lot of anger, a lot of depression and stuff. So oh, I'm uh, especially yeah. for me, I, I've I've never truly been very religious. So you know I didn't pray. I wasn't looking for answers that way. But I've reached a point where I had to understand that and accept, not just understand, but also accept the fact that I wasn't going to get the answers that I may have wanted. And I had to be okay with that. And I reached a point where um, faith became instrumental in what I had to do every day. Sure. I had to have faith that I was doing the right thing for my wife in the process of taking care of her. There was a lot of trial and error. I made so many mistakes, so, so many mistakes. Um, but every day was my opportunity to try to make it better for her. If I couldn't take it all away, I had to at least try to make it better for her every day. And I tried. I didn't do everything right. And, you know, we would joke about it. Um, it was ALS was our elephant in the room. We just choose yes, to pet it, it. We didn't overlook it, you know. Um, and we live by, by this. Today is today. Tomorrow is tomorrow. Yesterday is yesterday. None of them are the same. No. Yes. Well, you know, I, I, I reflect back on... Uh, some of my patients in early times, I, I worked on a neurological floor for quite a few years uh, in my career, and, and we would see uh, the progressive weakness of, uh, of a lot of uh, neurological disease processes. And, we would, and some of the first things that we would, as clinicians would say is, oh, my Lord, we pray that this is not going to turn out to be ALS. And then those patients may be repeated back into the hospital and and then you see them uh, with, uh, with, with drooping, you see them tripping over themselves, mm-hmm. you know, over their feet. You, you see them, the slurred speech. And then sometimes, slurs, but yeah. I don't know if your wife got to this point where they, they would have this uncontrolling crying, just continuous. And then the next thing you know, it would be an uncontrolling laugh. And then the muscles cramps and the twitching. And by this point in time, we'd say, you know, this sounds like ALS. Yeah, but she never she never had the uncontrollable crying, crying or laughing. Uh, but there was a lot yeah. of spasms and and pain yeah. in her joints. Uh, yeah. You know, so she was on, on so much, so many pain meds. And by the time hospice got involved, it was, it reached a point where the pain meds that I would give her wasn't enough. So okay. right. uh, they had to come in and give her morphine, and you know. Mm-hmm. The, she was she was and okay see, that's further, that, after that. Yeah, that, that that pain is further down the line because generally, at the onset, they they don't have very much pain. They don't even complain no. that much about pain. 
but near the end uh, of those latter symptoms is, is what what you're speaking about. And that's yeah. then that you know the morphine is going to depress the respirations, and pretty soon that's going to do away with with the, the patient, and um, they just can't last, can they? Well, she is. <laughs> You have to take a deep breath, don't you? Yeah. You sound, you sound, you sound great, and and I think that you found a beautiful cause, and that is to continue to educate uh, people out there speaking on behalf of ALS, and and you're doing this in honor of your wife and all the other people uh, that have had this dreadful disease, and I appreciate. Uh, what you're doing and that you're speaking uh, on behalf of uh, of ALS. And hopefully and prayerfully that we will get more resources and more funding so that we can find a way to get rid of this dreadful disease. That is, that is my hope. And yeah, that, Dr. McKellar, I can't thank you enough for allowing me onto your show um, to, to share my experience and to share my, uh, my, my journey and my wife's story. So thank you. And listeners, please thank you. Um, reach out to someone that you love and let them know that you love them. Oh, that's beautiful. How are the children? Oh, they're great. You know, I, I was actually kind of, I was really lucky that, you know, when we got the diagnosis, we told both of them, look, I, I told them, look, I'm home. I can take care of her. I got this. And and that was a rather ignorant statement because I had no idea. We had <laughs> no clue of what was coming. But you were right, up so, again. Look, yeah, you know, so told the kids, go to school, do your thing, live your life. So um, fortunately for me, the last couple of years when things really got difficult, uh, my son was still here, and he stayed home, and he helped me take care of her. And one of the hardest things for her was him having to take her to the bathroom and clean her up and things like that. So, uh, but, you know, he and I talk about it. Regularly, because he was here. Our daughter lives in Vegas. She's a chef, uh, so she okay. wasn't here for any of it. And I truly believe some things happen the way that they need to happen. Um, okay. She's our. She was our very emotional child. So, you know, I don't know that she would have had the uh, the strength to do Family. it every single day. Exactly. You know, uh, but you know the way that my son puts it is, you know. We have to help Rachel deal with it when she's, you know, feeling – and when she's in that moment, when she's feeling okay. like she should have been here, she's missing mom. You and I have to help her because we got a, another layer of skin. We right. we saw it every day, you know. So he and I talk about it regularly. My, the kids are amazing. They're great. Um, and I'm I'm blessed to to have them uh, at – and they're, they're adults now, you know, and I, I, I love having adult conversations with them. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed because this might sound kind of strange to a lot of people, but she's in my life every day. Oh, Even now, she's in my life every single day. And she provides me with a level of comfort um, in different situations that I may have otherwise panicked in, like she used to. You know, when we were growing up together in our marriage and raising kids and stuff, you know, she would kind of balance me out, and I would balance her out. She's still balancing me out, you know. Sure. 
Beautiful. Well, you can't help look how many years that you spent together. You shared that uh, household together. You still live in the same home where yeah. where when she left. Okay, so then yeah, she she has to be around you. You well, you look around in your home and 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 you built that home together. You grew it up together. You grew your children up together. So you can't help but to be. She can't help but to be in your life. And th- and that's a beautiful thing uh, that I heard you say. And so that's probably one another reason why you're pushing forward to educate more people and make some changes in the ALS society. So that because there's going to be some more people that's going to come down with it, and so therefore, we if, if we could find better treatments, and, and the treatments have been uh, pretty decent, but if we can find a mm-hmm. if we can find an earlier diagnosis, if we can find a cure, I mean, there's that's one thing I would love to see a cure brought forth. Yes, uh, and that that's the hope. Because that yeah, it, it's pretty dreadful. Is there, I, we look forward to seeing you out there on the uh, on the trail, on the speaking uh, trail. And and once again, we thank you for your uh, for your military service and for the service to the ALS Society, and just being a great citizen in the great America. And uh, so, are there, do you have a website or anything that we can can follow you and and read more uh, about you? I just have I've got my LinkedIn page. Um, it's you it's know, great. Stuart, Stuart Proctor. I found yours, so I I uh, sent okay. you a connection invite. Um, I don't have a personal website. Uh, I can be reached okay. through through Jeannie Russo. Uh, she's my speaking yeah. agent. So yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm trying to get this off the ground, and I'm willing to tell my story to anyone that's willing to listen. Um, you know, I was fortunate that you know. I, I don't look at this, like I said, as this was a part of my life, and I grew immensely from it. And I, I don't want people to think that because something dire happens to them that they can't come out of it a better person because they can't. Right. Uh, right. Th- there's there's ways. We are. My grandmother used to always say that God doesn't give us anything we can't handle. That's and exactly true. And I that. You know how you hear that so many times when you're growing up. You're like, yeah, okay. You just it, you it, you gloss over it right. until you have to prove it, until it's there, until it's in front of you. And yeah. at no time that uh, we had ALS did I ever think, all right, I'm out, I'm leaving. She would honestly, she honestly told me a couple times, I don't want you to have to go through this. Just leave me. Just leave. Me. I'm like, I ain't going. I'm not going anywhere. Where am I gonna wow. go? I don't. I don't Nobody knows me the way that you know me. No, I'm not going nowhere. You know, so uh, we we are faced with challenges for a reason, and there are opportunities to grow. Um, they won't be easy, but you have to open yourself up to uh, to the possibilities. And I was lucky that you know, in the midst of all of that, she still encouraged me to go to school. I finished my master's. I finished my doctorate while taking care of her. That was my mental escape. So caregivers, if you're caring for somebody that you love, find you some kind of escape, not just respite. If you have – I went to school every day online, every day, and finished a master's and a doctorate. So it's possible. Anything's possible. You're a real hero, uh, Dr. Proctor. You're a real hero. Thank you so much uh, for being on the show. Thank you so much. 
Yes. Miss Jean, do you have any final comments or any comments? We're not rushing you off to leave. Uh, I think uh, Bishop L.J. Guillory is going to come in from California. He's one of our co-hosts. And so, uh, so anyways, stick around. But, Miss Jean, any final comments? And thank you so much for bringing this hero onto our show tonight, Dr. Stewart uh, Proctor. We appreciate uh, him for being here and sharing his story with us. It's an amazing story. I know that book is coming soon, Dr. Proctor. Yes, it is. I'm still working on it. Um, <laughs> it it's, it's a labor. It's truly a labor of love. I go through moments when I, I really need to brain dump experiences, and, and I get them all down on paper. And then I go through moments of it's just not coming to me. You know, it's just typical writer's block, but I'm still working sure. on it. I'm working on a few other projects as well. Uh, this wasn't the only. This isn't the only passion I had. Um, one right. of which is, you know, I, I grew up on the South Side of Chicago, and I, I came from a welfare family. Um, and how we are raised, and the things that we're taught, and the things that we take from those environments, we tend to uh, allow those things to hold us back. And I've had some really great people in my path to kind of guide me, nurture me, mentor me, and um, my past informs my my current uh, actions and my future. You know, I'm not going to yeah. let those things that, that I experienced growing up define who I am and who I can become. Outstanding. Come back to us again and share South Side of Chicago with us. We look forward I would love to that. To. I would love to. You <laughs> can reach out to me anytime. Exactly. We're going to be calling you back. Ms. Jean, Thank you. any Thank comments? you so much. Thank you, sir. Ms. Jean? Unmute your phone and talk to us for your final comments. Yes, thank you so, so much, Dr. Stewart and, and Dr. McKellar. And, and Stu, you are just continuing to be the voice of Evelyn. And you are touching hearts and lives that you don't even know. Um, it is our life experiences that make us who we are and how we go forward. And I just want to share that a lot of times we, we talk about faith and, and we, we hang on to it. And someone shared with me, very dear, just recently, a recognition that faith does not always take you out of the problem, but it often takes you through the problem. And it doesn't always take away the pain but it gives you the ability to handle the pain That's right. and get you through the storm. And so, you know, it's okay to reach out to others and it's okay to walk away for a moment and to, to care for yourself. And I don't care if it's even just getting an ice cream sundae or perhaps taking a few minutes with your favorite book, but just be good to you. And right. and recognize the the fragileness of life. So right. thank you for having us on this evening so very, very oh. much. And again, it's Speaking of Success Incorporated. My website is in the process of being under construction. It should be up within the next week, I'm hoping. And um, you'll be able to reach out to me. And Dr. McKellar, you'll be able to share my email address and anyone 
could go ahead if if you're in need of the speakers or just touch base with me. Thank you. Right. And let me just share with them, uh, Ms. Jean, that uh, that I am on, uh, McKellar is on your Speakers Bureau, and uh, I'm proud to say that, and I look forward to uh, to being a part and running into Dr. Uh, Proctor uh, somewhere. Absolutely. Uh, so that we can continue to exchange uh, ideas and, and information. Uh, so thank you Wonderful. so much for fun. But if, you, if you'd like to stick around, that would be great. We, we're going to move over to the second half of the show and, and talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in the political world. Uh, we know that, uh, that today was final arguments for uh, the impeachment, and I was hoping that uh, Bishop Guillory, I, I haven't heard back from him. I know that, uh, that he is going to be coming back in a little bit later on. Hopefully he's out there in Southern California. And uh, hopefully he'll come in and, and we'll have a little dialogue. But let's see, who, anybody, Dr. Nichols, I know you've been out there traveling today, so you may not have heard the, the uh, final argument, uh, the closing argument for the impeachment uh, trial uh, today. And I don't know if you did or not, Mr. Arthur, uh, if you heard this sound. I did not. I heard a little tiny bit uh, once I got home because, as I said, it's been a, a busy day out there today. So if anybody well, heard anything. Okay, bring well, what happened was, well, what happened was, it, it, you know, it, it was it was still kind of, you know, they were talking process, and Adam Schiff was ripping that ripping that scab. I mean, just kicking them and pooping them, you know, about what they doing. And so, uh, and so, and so after the thing was over, uh, 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 poor, what's the guy's name out of uh, out of uh, West Virginia? What was his name? Munchen, Munchen. Mutin. Oh, Mutin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the senator out of uh, yeah, uh, Virginia, West Virginia. Uh, he he. Okay, he stepped to the microphone after the thing. He say that he's putting forward a motion to censure the president. So they gonna so so he going he's working with some other folks. But they gonna you know if, if Mitch McConnell let them, they gonna uh, because because the heat has gotten so hot. In other words, everybody's saying he all of them say he's guilty, but they don't want to do nothing, don't want to hear it. So, so they realize they look like uh, not the most deliberative body. So, so we're gonna see what's gonna happen with uh, with uh, Mister. Uh, 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 you know, I want to call him Mnuchin because that Steve Mnuchin guy. You know, because right. I hear his name so much. But anyway, we, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, so you know, hope we're gonna see what's gonna happen with that. They put so it. They do put. Well, you know they're going to censure for his behavior. You know they're going to censure for his behavior. You know they. Yeah, you know, but, they what, in, but what are they going to do? What? No, what I'm just saying. Uh, okay, I'm just saying. Okay, politically, the way they've handled their business. You know, he got there and made these uh, these statements. Uh, uh, Rubio and all them saying saying he basically he's guilty, but 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 right. we don't want to impeach him. So so now they're feeling the heat from all of that. So since they're feeling heat from all of that, you know, all of them looking like knuckleheads now, you know, because they're going, okay. hey, you, hey, this is going to be wrote on your tombstone. So now they're going, exactly. okay, so now they're trying to figure out a way. So now they want to censure the president. In other words, in other words, because you just let him get away with that, what he even got away with, you know, they're saying he's going to be the most, he, he, if they don't do something, he's going to be the most powerful president ever in America. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so that's kind of what they, you know, so that's kind of what they ask. So anyway, so, uh, you know, he's conservative uh, Democrat. So, you know, so he's feeling them. 
but you know, but he so anyways, he's trying to you know, he you know, he working with him so you know so hopefully hopefully they will at least censure the man. They need to do something. I like to see some Republicans vote for his uh removal even on that vote. I mean, you know, if they if they just all vote lockstep again and, and again I think they're beginning to realize what that looks like and what and what it's feeling like to the American people. And so uh, you know, they hoping that people gonna forget between now and then. Hey, it's a crime in progress. That's what Adam Schiff told them. It's a crime in progress. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? And, and, you and know, it will so continue. He, correct. Yeah, and he gonna cheat. He told me say they gonna cheat. He gonna cheat. He gonna do it again. That's what he gonna do. You know, he gonna do it. You know, uh-huh. well, you know, and y'all not stopping him. Oh yeah, he laid it out on him. So yeah, so they you know they felt that he see that's a you know you, you know I, and I want to say to your audience that this is a you know, I'm a, I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan of moral authority. But anyway, this is a, a great example of moral authority. Yeah. At work, odds are against you. Folks just doing wrong, right? But 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 they're standing there and they're and they're pushing moral authority. So it has its own power, has its own dynamic, has its own you know whatever. So even though they look like they're getting beat up right now. Uh, okay. When the war is over, when the war is over, you know, uh, uh, this thing will be won. I'm just telling you. Okay, so, so okay, Dr. Nichols, you have any? Did you see anything uh, today in regards to the final arguments and where and, and what's going to be the? When are they going to finally have the vote? When's that going to take place? The final vote's going to be on Wednesday. Wednesday, okay. But. Um, Wednesday at four o'clock. Oh wow, they got a specific that's, time. That's, that's Eastern time, yes. And it's pretty much a sealed deal that it's how well, it's going he's not to gonna, turn. Yeah, they're gonna right. they're gonna quit him. Yeah, they're gonna quit him. I I believe, uh, but we do know that impeachment is still going to be on his record, whether they do that or not and I know that they're, they've been saying well let's just let the voters uh, decide but, but as Mr. Arthur says I mean we let something like this get away uh, and they don't do something with him they got to censor him or do something in some kind of way and I don't know what that censorship will be but I can tell you this uh, it's going to turn it, this country will never ever be the same ever again Oh, Mr. Well, Allen, let me say this. Can I give you one more so, perspective? Can I give you one more perspective, right quick, uh, about this whole thing? Sure. Uh, Go ahead, uh, and then uh, we're going to bring they, Mr. They, Michael Cooper on. Go ahead. Oh, okay. 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 You see how? Then, if you see, see how the Senate is acting, why are they acting like that? This is a part of the of the uh, of the uh, scared, scared, scared white majority becoming a minority. This is a part. You know, putting those judges on the court, that's a part of it. And putting those racist judges on the court, that's a part of it. And then uh, uh, maintaining and then doing this thing they're doing here uh, so they can continue it. Uh, uh, again, this is, you know, it, it, it basically, basically looking at it, we're, we're like a, a quasi-oligarchy uh, uh, or cross with an authoritarian. Uh, you okay. know, so, 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 so they moved them all the money to the top. But don't make no difference how you vote. It's kind of like the South African model. So no matter how you vote or whatever, the power will be over here. Uh, you know, so 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 I'm taking and, and this right here, what you're seeing, why why would they do that? The man guilty and then they still don't care. 
Yeah, they don't care about the Constitution at this point. They're about raw, raw racial power. I'm just saying what they're doing. Care about staying in that office, right? Care about about, uh, about maintain about maintaining power once 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 uh, a minority uh, once whites become minority in America. It's about maintaining power at that point, whether it be through the courts, through the financial system, you know, and so forth and so on. I'm telling you what it is. It ain't, Anthony, because, uh, otherwise, because otherwise it don't make no sense. Right. Well, let's bring Dr. Nichols in and uh, let her have some comments. And then, then our senatorial candidate, Mr. Michael Cooper, is on. And so we're going to bring him in on this dialogue, obviously, after he tells us what's going on on his campaign for the, uh, for the evening. Go ahead, Dr. Nichols. Yes, thank you. Um, I've been spending the weekend, spending the first part of this week, at a statewide conference, an educational conference here in Texas. And this actually ties in to what we were just talking about because a huge part of the background noise at this conference is about minority majority. Okay. And that that's something educators are talking about. That's something behind the scenes. Everybody's saying, ooh, this is, this is for real that we have to look at minority-majority. It's no longer, and, and what, what is our minority when we think about it within schools, just language. Language could be 70 different languages, and we're not talking about dialects. We're talking about just languages. And we see this even in our smaller school districts. So when we think about this across, uh, politics and what what the play is in with keeping the power mm-hmm. that's a concern that um, you know that the minority is becoming the majority and oh my gosh what shall we do well now we're mm-hmm. seeing so what shall we do okay. yes. I agree um, been the background noise. You're right, and uh, it's going to continue, and it's going to get bigger because we do see uh, a transition. Change is difficult uh, for people to grasp, and so we can see the trends, we can see the change uh, coming about. And then, so some more of that change is Mr. Michael Cooper. So let's bring him into this conversation, and then we'll continue the dialogue. And then let's talk a little bit about Iowa because I think we we had our kickoff today, right? The first uh, first state in the union for their um, for their caucus or or their primary, uh, like ours in Texas. Go ahead, Mr. Michael Cooper. How are you? Greetings. Good evening. Welcome back to Marvelous Monday. Good evening. Thank you for being a marvelous host. Uh, I'm always excited. I rush home and uh, rush to my car after a meeting here in my own home uh, uh, city, for my Texas here at Jefferson County Democratic Headquarters, and I had a chance to go around. You know, sometimes we are known in our own backyard. Yeah, right. So, yeah, so I, I was excited about that, so I hung out at home tonight, but uh, they wouldn't let me go. We were taking pictures as if though I'm a candidate from out of town somewhere. So uh, that was refreshing and exciting, but I wanted to hear try to get a little time in your talk show tonight. Thank you all for a great Thanks, conversation. Sir. Yes. And, uh, matter of fact, I, I thank you, Dr. McKellar, uh, your daughter, I think that's on, uh, for being out there and representing educators, because that's my whole platform. Uh, when we understand 
that uh, the lack of knowledge uh, is the uh, uh, the end all to all issues, and we we need to educate our children and uh, re uh, reform the education system. I mean, the, the the way we teach the standardized testing needs to go. Uh, the things that we're, we're doing with our kids in schools, we need vocations in school. There's so many things that, that, that comes out of this, and we have a president that, that is not paying attention to the details. He's more worried about his record, and then we have a, a United States senator that is sitting there that no one even knows what he looks like. At least they knew what Ted Cruz looked like. We don't know what John Cornyn looks like. He's been around for 30 years. So uh, I'm excited to be on the campaign trail to be our next United States senator. Very good. I like that you brought out that point. Uh, you know, I never heard anybody make that statement, but you're absolutely correct. Unless you just know this guy, you don't know this guy because he does not show his face to anybody. You never hear anything about John Cornyn and what he's done and is doing for the great state of Texas. So thank He knows how to take pictures, that. though. He's always in the background. Yeah. Well, there you go. That would be true. You always see him back there in Washington uh, when he's in Washington D.C. But never, rarely do you hear him saying anything about anything. Not even for his Republican folks. Yeah, see, I want to be a United States senator for all Republican, Democrat, Independent, Green. I don't care who you are. But uh, he's not even a a representative of his own folks. (laughs) You're absolutely correct. So what do you think that's going to happen over in Iowa tonight? It looks like that we're getting all kinds of numbers coming in in their caucuses uh, there in Iowa, uh, in Des Moines, Iowa. So what do you think is going to happen here? Who's going to, who's going to come out on top in Iowa? I think we, we're almost to get to that point where they're about to make some announcements tonight, I believe. Well, I can't so wait you- to hear because it's going to give us a, an idea what's, what's to come in the next few weeks. So uh, I am excited. I've been in the meeting all day. Uh, have y'all uh, received any news at all? Because I literally just stepped out of my meeting, so I hadn't seen any well, updates. Well, I think there's running a tie out there, as far as I heard, uh, with with Sanders and uh, Biden. And then I heard that uh, Buttigieg had stepped up. So I really don't know. I think they're still caucusing, and they're trying to pull uh, certain ones over to either Sanders or or Biden. So it it looks well, like. It's, go ahead. With that being said, uh, Dr. McKellar, and, and I uh, take my hat off to you because you actually continue to push me to the next level in my politics, and I am becoming absolutely. voice of reason. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm going to step into that voice of reason as if though I've already been in office, but I've been around and I'm a quick learner. And I, the, the room I was in tonight, and I heard the Bernie people, and we, was all, we were almost divided in the room, and the Joe Biden people. And the Bernie people were so passionate and so frustrated that we had a problem way back with Hillary and, and, and Bernie, and, and there were some issues. And so they said that we lost an election to the other party because we had some Bernie folks burning. They were upset, and they set out, and they didn't vote, and it cost us. So, so I'm saying right now, I, I, I'm going to be the clarion voice right now that we cannot do that. I don't now if, if, if Bernie is our guy, we have to get behind him, even if you were for Biden. If Biden is our guy, we have to get behind him. We cannot sit out, Bernie folks. I know you love Bernie and you feel the burn, but we have we can't burn up at home and let what happened for the past three and a half years continue to happen. 
That's exactly correct. Thank you. Thank you so much for that because that's really important. And, you know, I, I talk to a lot of uh, people out there uh, who are Democrats out there and about, and and, and so the, the one thing that they – two things that they always mention to me in regards to uh, uh, Senator Sanders, and that is that, that they don't look at him as a Democrat, uh, right. and then they say that he's way too far – to the left that they just don't see that the American voter is going to uh, is going to go down that line uh, that he needs to be a little little further over to the middle and then so those are the two things we've had lots of people on this show as a matter of fact uh, senator that that they say the same thing over and over everywhere we go so I don't know how how to fix that. Uh, I, I, I know and I, I understand what they're saying, that when it's time uh, for elections that he, he signs up as a Democrat, but then after the election is over, then he goes back to becoming an independent, and some people call him a socialist. Uh, so I don't know. So that, that's what we get on this show, and that's what we get out there in the community uh, for, on, on their behalf. So that's why a lot of the people who are – who are pushing Joe Biden, that's what their feelings are in regards to uh, Senator Sanders. Go ahead. Well, and that was the uh, consensus in the room tonight. And then there was a lady, she went a step further, and she said, well, basically, and I'm going to paraphrase for her and help her out because it scared me to death. She said exactly what you said about Sanders, that he's never been a Democrat, and the only time he switches is when it's time for election season. And she's basically closing her eyes and voting for him and hoping that when he goes into office that he'll realize and temper himself, just like AOC is asking for the Green New Deal and asking for Medicare for all right now and realizing that there's a step in the process. In 1863, uh, the slaves were free. Yeah, but us in Texas, until they came through with the word and gals and two years later, we didn't know about it. You know, right. then we get upset and get mad and say, well, we don't want this because y'all waited two years to let us know about it. Then in 1870, uh, men had the right to vote, but yet uh, African-American men had to pay poll taxes and can you read and all these That's other things. So then we had the, the Voting Act of 19 – I'm sorry, I'm a historian. I love this kind of stuff. So so uh, right. 1965, the year before I was, uh, I was born, uh, voting uh, rights, mm-hmm. act, civil uh, rights, all kinds That's of issues. It. And then we had the Jim Crow laws down here. So you trying to yeah. tell me – that uh, it's not a process to get to Medicare for all and all these other things. It's a process. And Certainly. so I think we're cheating the voters and the public and lying to them if we say otherwise. And what's amazing is that Bernie, the guy said, he's offered all of these thoughts and these ideas, and he put Elizabeth, Senator Elizabeth Warren in check and said, you're going to have to raise the taxes to get Medicare for all and, and put her on her heels. So yet people continue to ignore that he made that statement and continue to say we burning with burning we want Medicare for all today, and we're not going to stand yeah. for anything else. So we right. have to wake up as Democrats. I'm sorry. I just, listen. Go ahead. Y'all yeah. have a show. I'm gonna sit down and be quiet. No, no, no. Go go right ahead. <laughs> because the one thing that I have not heard anyone say, and that is if the if the Medicare for all. Is, is going to be 100% paid or if it's going to be like Medicare today where 80% is paid and 20% either you pay it 
or your insurance, if you or if you have a supplement, then that supplement right. is going to pay it. So we haven't heard definitively how this is going to take place. That's why so many people afraid are afraid of it. That's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And and, mm-hmm. and we're not going to run insurance companies. Let's let's face it. Insurance companies are not mm-hmm. going anywhere. They're going to be here, and we're not going right. to shut down corporations where they're not going to be able to function at all. So where right. where do they fit in? And so we're not. We haven't gotten a full story of how that Medicare for all is supposed to work. Well, let's just off another yeah. just a little bit. Of, how's that going, Mike? How you doing? It's wonderful. Hey, hey brother. How you doing, Doctor? <laughs> Well, uh, 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 actually, actually, you know, the Bernie Sanders being in Bernie Sanders being in the race and pushing Medicare for all. Basically, now, I mean, that's great if he ain't the candidate. I mean, it's great if he ain't the candidate because what it does is politically it expands the the, the hope space. I call it the hope space. Right. It expands right, the hope right. space. Okay. And right. then within that space, it gives you more room to come up with something. Not that, but right. something. Something. There's right. a tool of negotiation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so basically, and so basically again, uh, 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 now as far as like him and Hillary, them question, you know, they've been, you know, they've been doing that since, you know, the, you know, last time. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, like I say, she's not running. So, uh, so unless he gets into it with somebody else, I can't see that really being a, a big issue. I don't, I don't think they don't get mad at mad. I don't think Hillary folks don't get mad at Bernie, Bernie and not vote because they want Trump again. I mean, I, I mean, I think they probably will draw the line there. Hopefully, hopefully they will. Oh, yeah. You know, once we get to, <laughs> once we get to the end. Well, well, like Ms. Cooper said, that's how Trump got there. So we can't, we can't stay at right. home, right? Exactly. No way. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. We we can't repeat that, especially since we know that that they're not going to take him out of office. Um, so the voters got to take him out. Some well, the electoral college, in essence, the electoral college is the one that's got to take him out of office. And so we got to hold their feet to the fire by getting out to the polls to show them that there are people who want him gone because of the fact of how he's disrespected the Constitution and the United States of America. Now they said this guy they gave him in excess how many how many uh, untrue statements. Since he's been in office, I mean, 16, something enormous. Yeah, sixteen thousand Pinocchios. <laughs> yeah, how do you manage yeah. to just tell? That's amazing. That was amazing to me when I when I read that. And but, that's the one he didn't say it in public. That's the one he said in the public. Think about when he brushed his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> that would be true. That that would be true. I like that. Well. Anywho, there we are. So we are seeing now where we are with uh, with Iowa, and so it looks like I'm, I'm just popping up on front of my uh, computer here, saying that the results are being delayed for right now. Uh, there's uh, 61% of people saying that they need to make sure that somebody will be able to uh, beat Trump in the uh, general, because it looks like that he'll be there. Uh, in the general, even some of some of his people who are who are not running for office uh, is saying that that something should be done about it. But nobody steps up and and comes to the forefront and say, "Yes, we got to do something, and we got to do something." The ones who should be saying something is not saying anything, right? 
and that, those are those are the ones who are in office right now in Washington D.C. They're just flat out as not going to to do anything to this fellow. How do you get how do you get away with that? I'm I'm saying if that had been and, and I hear this every single day, if that had been President Obama, they would have already had the handcuffs on him. Who believes that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Exactly. Amen. They would have been marching out. Yeah, they would marching out. And, and what's the shame is that we would have had some defectors. We would have had some folks that are saying, yeah, you know what, this is enough. You're right. Let's go ahead on the trial of this case. Yeah. I mean, and and that's one thing that we have to realize as a party. We need to line up. We need to get in marching orders. We need to get behind our elected uh, uh, primary candidates, whatever. And I proved that in, in my last election when I ran for lieutenant governor. I got behind Mike Collier. Mike Collier is behind yeah. me now, and even back and forth, forth. We need to do that uh, uh, across the state of Texas. We need to do that in, in every uh, race, contested race, and especially on the presidential level. We have to. We can't go home because our guy or girl didn't win. We can't do it. Exactly. Okay. Well, now, now that you carried us to the presidential level, uh, Ms. Cooper, uh, let's see some of the comments that I got uh, over the weekend uh, when now that. Uh, Mr. Michael Bloomberg, who you know we've had on our shows, uh, is going to be able to be on the stage because, I, in my opinion, how can we know what that person is going to be about, what their plans are for the country, uh, if, in fact, uh, they're not on the stage talking about it? So now they're saying, okay, so it wasn't right that we kept away, uh, we kept away Cory Booker, we kept away uh, Cynthia Harris. Uh, and now uh, Mr. Michael Bloomberg is now on the stage. We know that he's self-funding uh, his campaign, and I, and I can relate to that. I basically, I basically self-funded my my uh, congressional campaign. So, so he now is funding, and, and I'm not talking about just uh, half a million dollars or so. I'm talking about real money, right? Big. big. Yes. Yeah. That he's putting out there, and I think he made, he donated something in excess of eight hundred thousand dollars to the D Triple C, and so people saying, "Oh, he's buying his way in uh, to the seat." But what are your thoughts on the fact that that uh, that uh, the two senators, the two uh, African American senators, that were kept off the stage because of the lack of funding, and that's why we know that's why they dropped out of the race, because of the lack of funding, not that they were not excellent candidates, because they were, but, but you got to have the money in order to get across America, right? It's, it's, it's a lot of money to get across Texas, because that's what you're doing. Uh, oh. So so what are your thoughts on that, as far as uh, Steiner and, and Bloomberg being on the stage? Well, uh, exactly what you say, and, and even in, in, in your conversation, you're hesitant to go left or right about the topic, and, and it's, it's all gray areas. There's nothing black and white about it because I, too, am self-funded for the second time uh, in, in this race for uh, United States Senate. And, um, you know, it, it's hard, uh, but at the same time, because of the fact that uh, Senator Booker and Senator Harris uh, didn't have enough money to be self-funded on that level, we lost out on two great candidates and didn't really get to continue to hear them and go through the vetting process. So even yes. though on, on my race, my level now, 
uh, I would say things like this, and they say, well, money's never going away. Well, it doesn't mean just because you think it's never going away that I'm not going to fight for it. They also didn't think that Dan Patrick was going to give school teachers a pay raise, and I wasn't even the candidate in the primary election. But yet I argued uh, my case and exasperated uh, Mike Collier on the campaign trail when it came to education getting the, uh, uh, teachers a pay raise to the point that he did the same thing with Dan Patrick, and the teachers got a $5,000 a year pay raise, even though he came back and raised the insurance up 3%. So I'm okay with that. But my point is this, is that I'm going to also, on my level and the next level, when I go to D, uh, D.C. Uh, as a candidate or not, and, and go to the, uh, uh, the, the powers to be and say, at some point we need to change our, our, our process. And it shouldn't take that much money to find out that we have viable candidates out here. Even on my level before I started, uh, I was an unknown. We have all these recruiters in the Democratic Party supposed to be recruiting candidates, and yet we are recruiting ourselves. I ain't seen anybody recruiting you. Uh, there you, you had to recruit there yourself. You, <laughs> you're 100 on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all these recruiters, watch this, and they can get mad if they want to. I've made the right upset. I made the left upset. I made everybody upset because I'm making you think. I, I, I want to scratch the surface, and, I'm, and you might get scratched as I'm scratching the surface because I want people to think, and I want you to wake up. Matter of fact, my, my uh, uh, Freedom uh, Fund banquet, I'm the president of NAACP this year, June 19th. Y'all come on down. Uh, there was a, a shameless plug. But anyway, uh, it's called Woke. I wanted the young folks to call it woke. Are you woke? And it, it, it yeah. you, are, are you aware of the social issues of today? Are you aware of the civil rights and racism issues of today? And so I want to wake people up that we need to make sure that we have government channels, government television, like Channel 8 here in, in Houston. Uh, we need to have our candidates on television around the state, yeah. Texas, around the nation for free. They need to earmark 10% of their time during the election season from January to March 3rd so that we can hear about our candidates. And then the only thing we want to know is that how many dollars they raise, not how much dollars, $1 vote. And that's how we know who's leading in the polls because we shouldn't take no more than $1 as a, a, a representation of the one vote. And these are things, someone said, well, that, that's asinine. Uh, you, you, you're losing your mind. You can't. Well, until Roosevelt came up with the New Deal, we didn't have a deal. Uh-huh. Now we're talking about the Green New Deal. So somebody has to come up with these thoughts and start the conversation, just like reparations. Uh, uh, our Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, she wants to foster and start the conversation. Well, I have a plan already for that. So I'm tired of talking about anything. I'm ready to put it in an action. There you go. See, that's why I'm a pro- I am a proponent of uh, governmental-funded uh, campaigns where where – X amount of dollars are earmarked to candidates to run campaigns. And when they use up all that money, they use it up. They can't raise any money. Uh, Everybody's on the same level playing field. And that's where we we get to know them. Yes, we we get to know them. And I like that. I was over my marketing department for 28 years. I ran a multi million dollar company and then handled marketing for a whole region. Uh, Toyota, matter of fact, I was the guy that I was the president of Southeast Texas Toyota Dealers Association when I nailed the naming right, $100 million contract, uh, to put Toyota name on top of the Toyota Center and built me a suite so I can put a Toyota Tundra inside of it. Well, I, said, I ain't bragging on what I did. I'm bragging on the fact that I did what I did. Okay? Sure, I so, it, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it takes insight to, to learn how to move money around and get everybody in, in included in what the process is. 
And, and so we need to do that. We need to have thinkers outside the box. And so when I advertise around uh, 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 political season, they told me when I called uh, ABC, NBC, and the Super Bowl, there's so many ads that we couldn't purchase because they were earmarked for politics, political campaigns. And they charged them max rate, but no more than that. But my point is this. Why not charge at all but still have those spots and have those for those candidates, especially on statewide and federal level? Those candidates need to be exposed. Kind of where we're going to vote for somebody. We've got 12 people running for the United States Senate, and you trying to tell me you know who they are in Chico, Texas? They don't know. No. Nobody's been no. there yet. No, absolutely. And they're, they're not come, going into all of these little cities. And, and that's why I said to the Bloomberg campaign and to every, every campaign, really, everybody that reached out to us, and, and I said to them, if you want to win statewide in Texas, you better come into East Texas. You better bring your voice here uh, because there's a lot of registered voters down here that don't get out to the polls to vote. They vote sporadically. I mean, even in the district where I ran, District 1, uh, there's over a million registered voters here, and only about a little over 300,000 people went to the polls in this last big election, the 2018 election. So we know what they need to do in order to uh, to win certain areas. So they better listen to the people who live in these areas and come into these little small because the small cities are just as important as the big big cities. All, all the money and all the time should not go to the massive, the major cities, as they, as they call it, in, uh, in, in this state of Texas and, and in America, uh, period. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, very important. So I'm looking now, and I'm trying to see, it looks like 58% of the women, the Democratic women, have caucus, and 42% of the men have caucus over there in, in Iowa. And so, but it doesn't tell me how. It looks like Joe, well, I can't tell. He's got a zero uh, showing up there, so he's keeping us in suspense right now to, to uh, let us know what's going on. It looks like Biden's name is first, Sanders is next, Elizabeth Warren, and then uh, Buttigieg. So now, what about the others? I haven't heard it. Yang is still there, right? And Amy is still there. And, yeah. And uh, what about Tulsi? Is she still there? I hadn't seen her. I haven't seen her lately either. I didn't know she was still in the, in the – so there's 76% Democrats, 1% Republicans, 22% um, independents, and I couldn't tell what that was all about. But looks like they're trying to come down to the bitter end. And what time is it? Almost 10 o'clock? It's 9.45, and I think they're on the same time frame. They, right. they, last week, they, look at last week, they got on Andy Klobuchar last few days about – at this 16-year-old, she prosecuted and gave him life and uh, gave, gave him a life sentence because he was, oh, really? you know, you're about a gun, a gunshot. He was some, somehow outside, gun went and killed a little girl on the inside, and he gave, and, and he got life. And folks say he didn't do it. See, he wasn't even on shooting. So, you know, saving oh, on her about her about her record with black folks. Her support is like her support is like one percent, I think. Oh. Was among black people, so uh, I mean, I, I mean, it was already bad, but I'm just saying, you know, now folks ask oh. her to explain that she she's on a Sunday show trying to explain it, uh, but she was very she she was evasive, you know, about about you know they had hid evidence and the police did a bunch of a bunch of stuff they wasn't supposed to. You know how to you you know the, the use of crooked stuff they do when they be just gonna send somebody up, 
<clears throat> and so uh, and so he asked her, "Did you know about this evidence?" And she heed and hard and heed and hard and you know I'm going, oh really? Okay. So anyway, yeah. So 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 Amy, 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 Amy will bite you. <laughs> I see. I, I I had not heard about that. I didn't mm-hmm. realize it. Didn't realize it. Well, b- before we get to the end, we we're about to get there, but I wanted to reflect, circle back around to uh, Texas A&M Commerce, your school. Uh, Mr. Arthur, yeah. and I understand two women were fatally shot, and then a toddler was wounded. So, did we hear what this, what what all transpired here? What what was the cause of of all of this at, over at A and M? No, you give me some news now. I tell you, wow. the actual news been slow to come out. So that's news right. to me because I didn't have that yeah. much. So yeah, wow. that's right. That's, 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 was, I wonder you know, if uh, yeah. Dr. Miller is she okay? Was she over there? Isn't she uh, a professor over there, Dr. Miller? Uh, yeah, this was at yeah, this is in one of the dorms. This, this one of the halls. Oh, this is okay, there. okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, halls, yeah. We, I, we had gotten the uh, from uh, some of our sorority sisters, as you know, is uh, a chapter on that campus there, and said that everybody in that dorm was okay, but. Uh, that two women were killed, and then a, mm. a, a two-year-old child was in the hospital, but the child was in stable condition. Mm-hmm. But did they, they say who was doing the shooting? They didn't. Don't know that part. Don't know that part. Yeah, no, okay. Uh, that's uh, that's what I was trying to. Uh, they said nobody's giving any. Uh, the authorities were not giving any answers. Were they white folks? Uh, black folks? I, I have no idea about that as well. It's not. It's not being said. You know. And, and, and you know what? It's something. And let me tell you something. And this is a black thing for those that don't know about black things. When we hear about tragedy in America, certain, uh-huh. you know, different types of tragedies. First thing we uh-huh. do, we say, "Oh Lord, I hope it ain't. I hope ain't nobody black." You know, we do that first. You know, so oh, man, hope ain't nobody black. So you know, and then it, it, only, it, it, only one ethnic group does that. Is that what you're saying? I don't. I mean, I don't know if the other ones do it or not, but but, but I know we do it. You know, I don't know if the other ones do it or not. I don't know if they be sitting up doing that or not, but I know we do it. You know, because it'd be like, and, and then a certain types of crime, we say, "Oh, I know that wasn't black." <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well, you know, well, well, statistics and history has shown that there's certain types of. Uh, uh, of crimes that are committed by certain ethnic groups, you right. do know that there is study out there that, about that. And even in particular, if you're talking about suicide, and if it's if it's, a, if it's done by a gunshot to the head, they say who that may be. And if it's a stabbing, they say who that may be. There's a lot of a lot of statistics mm. behind uh, the methods in which people take their lives or the methods in which people kill uh, others. So, uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah. But but hopefully that we'll, we'll pick up some information soon. But it looks like uh, that they are concealing a lot about this. Yeah. And I, I think I think it's – is this their homecoming week as well? No, or, no, no. Or, the, home, the, no the homecoming okay. is in October. That's in October. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah you know, but it's Black History. It's, it's Black History Month. You know, we have a few like kids. I'll, I'll be going down there. Matter of I'll probably go down to March. It's kind of, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of Look talk around. to folks. You know. You're going. Yeah. And you're going down there, and mm-hmm. all of that. 
Because mm-hmm. oh, yes, yes, it was it was homecoming that they had this done another time, wasn't it? Another. Oh, okay. The homecoming. Oh, okay, at homecoming. Okay, at homecoming. No, at homecoming, it was uh, somebody uh, from the university. Uh, they they had a party over uh, toward Greenville. It wasn't it wasn't on yeah. campus or nothing like that. It was like over right. toward Greenville. And as a matter of okay. fact, now that you mention that, hey, now that you mention that, you know, we still don't know who killed them, folks. Wow. Remember they picked up that Mexican guy and played like it was him, and then and then oh. and then they had to let him go, and now we don't, and, and and then we ain't heard nothing since. Interesting. Okay. Well, it's it's you know, the sad part about it, gentlemen, is that that people cannot go to school and feel like they're safe. They cannot go and sit in their classroom uh, without being fearful. That somebody the governor said they can have a gun. Exactly. The governor said they can that, have a gun. That's the, that's the world we live in now that we almost come to the wild, wild west where everybody is packing and carrying weapons. And so they pull out their weapons at, at the top of a hat. They, hey, hey, Eric, here, go counsel with your professor, right? Look, go counsel your professor with your gun. Next thing you know, you're making A's. Wow. I'm just saying. Really? Well, I don't don't know. It's 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 serious matter. It really is. Glad ain't in college. That's all I got to say. Well, but here's the deal. You can be in the church house. You can be. Uh, You're right. You're right. You you know you can can you not be any place? You can be any place. Crossing the crossing the street. Crossing Mm -hmm. the street. How about sitting in your home? Uh, reading a book to your nephew, uh, right? Your, right. <laughs> Go ahead, talk, sis. Talk, talk. That's How it. about sitting your home having some ice cream? How about sitting your home having some ice That's cream? Yes, police come yes, in and get you. Yes. How about somebody uh, open the door into your apartment, Botham John, and uh, and your life? Mm-hmm. So That's what I'm talking you about. Have, you don't have to be on campus, do you, Miss Cooper? You can be anywhere. That, that's true. You can be anywhere. Any- you can be at your own home. You bitch your own home at nighttime. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I had an issue with my alarm system uh, when that first moved in this particular type neighborhood, and I had to come out, driver's license up, hands up, put a flashlight on myself. <laughs> I'm the owner. I'm telling you, see, this, this is no surprise. This has always been. <laughs> what, what do we not remember? Do we not remember when? When I believe it was um, when President Obama first went into office, and uh, the doc out there in Chicago uh, at his house, I believe. Oh, let's see, who was that? What was his name? But because he, he ended up going to the White House and having a beer with with uh, because because they didn't think yeah. he belonged in the neighborhood. You remember that yeah. incident? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've been hearing about these ever since more and more and more. Not that we didn't hear about them before then, but boy, have they been become excessive since that time. Just excessive. But think about how, how President Obama handled that situation, inviting to the White House to de-escalate yeah. the situation instead of escalate and create division. So you think people became more furious after that? I don't know about that, Mike. Like, I don't no, know no. about that. 
You you talking about when he invited uh, the the for, for the 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 beer the the beer the, the beer uh, 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 summit. The the beer gate the beer gate is what he called it. The, the beer summit. Have beer with no, him. No. Boy, look at him say something. After he did that beer summit, to me it looked like they got hard on him. <laughs> to me. Well, like I tell you what, we that's the summit to me. Yeah, I I don't see where he made it. I mean, I remember saying, and the reason I say that is, is because is because basically, basically they were on him about not supporting law enforcement. What that guy did, what that guy did was totally wrong. Yeah. He should have been fired. He should have been fired. But Obama, like you said, trying to reconcile. He brought, you know, he had a little beer summit with him, trying to, you know, make everything okay, and 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 they didn't appreciate. It. That's all I'm saying. I mean, his intention. No, was we're saying good. the same thing. I, I'm saying our current president, if it, that she's been on her foot, would have created more stance and, and more division and said, "No, I, I'm not bringing the I'm not going to try to bring peace to this situation." He would have said, oh, uh, "said It's good people I'm on not, both sides." That, that kind of stuff. I don't know. I ain't right. him to the, I'm not comparing him to the to the current president. He's a racist. That's a whole other story. That's a whole other. Well, I'm trying. You know, to say those, those words, you know what I'm saying? I'm to, he's, a, he's your president, mm-hmm. Doc. I'm trying not to use those words. You know. Well, I mean, hey, that's what he is. I, I mean, I can use him because it's what he is. And and and, and, and and the pundit class, the media, they say racist too. So, hey, I'm just saying. I, I, I look at him. I'm gonna say like a homeboy said. If he ain't a racist, the racist show think he's a racist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. If the shoe fit, huh? If the shoe fit. That's all I'm saying. If it's a shoe, if it's a size 11, and that's the size you wear. Yeah, 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 he's pretty comfortable. He's pretty comfortable in that shoe. Pretty comfortable in that shoe. That's all I'm saying. Yes, indeed. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, guys, I'm going to have to get ready to get out of here because tomorrow I'm going to have to drive to Kerrville. I understand it's about four hours away from me. Then drive back to Missouri City. Uh, uh, close to the Houston area, and so I'm hitting the road again hard, and then Dallas morning news Wednesday morning, so and then back to Houston. I'm not even sure where I'm going. I have to look at my calendar. Oh, you, oh, you, well, you're the morning news Wednesday. All right, all right, the morning news. All right. And, and we we appreciate your being out there on that trail, uh, Mr. Cooper. Uh, we salute you uh, as our Black History legend for tonight, uh, and so Amen. keep on doing. Great work in educating uh, people out there on that campaign trail uh, and sharing your knowledge and your skills and your ability with us. And we appreciate the work that you're doing. We salute you tonight and today on Marvelous Monday. You. Thank you for tuning in with us. Come back anytime. Absolutely. My pleasure. Night. 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 Okay, Ms. Arthur, we have about three minutes left. And so if there's anything that you want to share, with us tonight, we know that tonight, today was is the third of February. This was the last day, Monday, that anybody could get registered to vote. So, if you have a few more hours, a couple more hours before midnight. So, if you know anybody that needs to be registered to vote, please don't hesitate to have them to call us right here uh, at two one four six. Nine one six six two, because we can get them registered. Because this is a serious matter. It is a crucial election that's coming up. The primary will be March the third, uh, I believe it is, the first Tuesday uh, in March. And we want to make sure that people are ready. Early voting begins uh, February the 
is it the 18th or 19th? And the 18th, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so we don't want you to wait. We don't want you to wait until uh, until election day. You have two weeks to go ahead and get that voting knocked out of the way. Uh, go ahead and help to get some others to the polls to vote, and and so that we can make sure that your voice is heard uh, here in Texas. And uh, we, we want to get rid of some people out of the seats that are disrespecting the seats, that are doing nothing uh, in these seats. And so if they're not working on behalf, as, as Mr. Cooper said, if they, they're, they're not working on behalf of every single person, I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, Independent, or nothing, if they're not working on your behalf, then we don't need to have them in office. Any final comments from you? Uh, Mr. Arthur, before we got one minute, and uh, Mr. Uh, Brianna, uh, right. uh, I, I, I was asked to be the GEO the, the TV uh, guest vote coordinator for the NAACP Dallas's campaign. Uh, so, I, so it's more likely I go ahead and accept that position so I can, you know, do just what we're talking about. You know, this is Black History Month. Right. Uh, we need to actually, uh, uh, this is a serious election. Uh, so I'm gonna do all I can to uh, make sure to make sure that Dallas that Dallas turns out. We educate people about what the issues are. The NAACP we don't we we don't endorse candidates, but we do endorse issues. So we'll be getting a slate of issues together to uh, educate people on and and hopefully uh, have them understand how it connects to their everyday lives. Thank you. Very good. Great point. I'm, I'm I like the way you laid that out. And because because we know that organizations who are nonprofit organizations cannot endorse uh, specific candidates, but we endorse issues, and I like the way you put that. And so we want the very best for everything, for everybody, equality for all mankind. So we're going to bring Miss Rihanna back in and let her play our final uh, song for the evening. Thank you so much, Mr. Arthur. It's always a pleasure to be right back here with you, thank you. Thank on you, Marcus, thank and all the great candidates. And we thank. Yes, we we thank Dr. Stuart Proctor and Ms. Jean Marie Arusso for coming in and sharing their experience with us as caregivers. Thank you. May God bless you. We'll see you next week. Bye now. Good night. One day when the glory comes, it will be out. It will be The war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, no, glory, glory, oh, glory, hands to the heavens, no man, no weapon. Against yes, glory is destined. Everyday women and men become legends. Sins that go against our skin become blessings. The movement is a rhythm to us. Freedom is like religion to us. Justice is juxtaposition in us. Justice for all just ain't specific enough. One son died, the spirit is revisiting us. True and living, living in us. Resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walk through Ferguson with our hands up. When it goes down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. Shots, we on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. One day, when the glory comes, it will be out. 
Woman and child, even Jesus got his crown in front of a crowd. They march with the torch, we gon' run with it now. Never look back, we done gone hundreds of miles from dark roads, heroes to become a hero. Facing the league of justice, his power was the people. Enemy is lethal, a king became regal. Saw the face of Jim Crow under a bald ego, the biggest weapon. It's to stay peaceful, we sing Our music is the cuts that we bleed through Somewhere in the dream we had an epiphany Now we right the wrongs in history No one can win the war individually It takes the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy Welcome to the story we call victory The coming of the Lord, my eyes have seen the glory One day, one day 